If you'll turn with me into Route 2 or keep your finger Route 2, get out that bulletin. Let's get that outline getting ready to go uh, as we dig into God's Word today. Boy, does He have a story for us. Uh, boy, does I truly believe He wants to speak to us. But hold, hold on just a second. Please hold on for a second. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. T-Bowen. T-Bowen. You know, if you look up T-Bowing on the internet, it'll come up and it'll define it for you. T-Bowing is a verb. It is a verb that describes an action when one takes immediately, kind of impulsively to one knee and begins to pray, no matter what those around them, him are doing. It's called T-Bowing. If you go and Google T-Bowing, you'll find people T-Bowing all over in different places. It's, it seems to be going across the nation. Everybody seems to be talking about Tim Tebow. It has been said that Tim Tebow looks like my left-handed younger brother. Do you know, do you know that, that Tim Tebow and uh, the wild card game a couple of weeks ago where, where he, he threw in overtime this 80-yard bomb and, and I, I'm looking like I'm throwing like a girl because I'm doing it left-handed here. I mean, I'll do it this way. He, he threw this 80-yard bomb, uh, this touchdown uh, to win the game. It was incredible. Do you know that his name was tweeted 9,420 times a second, a second after that catch. I mean, I mean, wow, is everybody talking about Tebow? 9,420 times in a second. Do you know that it was 53.5 million people watched that Hail Mary and watched that amazing catch and that amazing score? Do you know that it was 42.4 million people watched the entire game in its entirety? It was the greatest rating ever for a wild card game. Matter of fact, it was the highest rating sporting event since the Super Bowl. And here's what's crazy. I mean, here, here's what's just goofy about that whole game. I mean, goofy. All of the stats seem to point to 316. The guy threw for 316 yards. His average was 31.6. At one time, his quarterback rating was 31.6. And do you know that after the game, I mean, Google was getting worn out with people Googling John 3.16? Crazy. Do you know that yet last week, his biography wasn't even on the New York Times bestseller? And then today, I found out after the early service, I'm throwing this in. He's number two on the bestseller, New York Times bestseller. Everybody seems to be T-Bowing. Well, everybody at least seems to be talking about Tim Tebow. You see, in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, everyone was talking about Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. In Bethlehem, you know, if you read the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, Bethlehem seems to be quite a hotbed for conversation of extraordinary events and the most amazing of people including Ruth and Naomi. But what is it about Tebow? To me, Tebow seems to be proving what the Bible teaches as a truth. Tebow seems to be proving the biblical truth of 1 Samuel 2.30. It says, listen, it says this, God 
honors those who honor him. You know that? Scripture says that that God honors those who honor him. And centuries before there was a gator-sized hero named Tim Tebow, there were two women who proved that God truly does honor those who honor him. God honors those. You don't have to be a Heisman Trophy winner to be honored. He even honors those that are called barren, childless, widows. God honors those who honor him. Even, listen, even if they have Moabite blood. See, this this chapter is going to tell us something amazing. And it's going to be not just for Ruth. And it's not going to just be for Tebow. It's going to be for you. And it's going to be for me. And really what it says is this. For those who, like Ruth, who take their refuge under the wings of God of the Bible, for those by God's grace, like Ruth, who will come to the God who is this living God and, and, and place our lives under the wings of his protection, God honors not just her but us too. We're going to look at four things that God honors. You want to follow along in your bulletin. There's actually a, a, a fourth that we've added. We're going to see that it is true that God honors those who honor him. And he honors us with these four things in this chapter. One is with a name and an identity. God honors those who honor him with a name and an identity. The second thing is this. God honors those who honor him by leading those to the fields of his blessing. To those whom, who have sought refuge in this great God and his name and his love and his protection, he leads those to the fields of his blessing. Thirdly, and what's not in your bulletin, but you'll see and you need to add, that God honors those who honor him by healing our brokenness. By bringing healing. And like, not then, but now. That God honors those who honor him by healing our broken hearts and our broken lives. And fourthly, we're going to see that God honors those who honor us by blessing us, by blessing us with more than we could. Listen, listen to this. This is crazy what scripture says. It's, it's like God blesses those who honor him in ways that's more than we can ask, even think. Wow. Really, God? Really? Well, God does truly honor those who honor him. We see that in, two, in chapter two. So let's do this. Let's go back to the highlights. I know we've read it, but what I want to do this week, and I kind of wrestled with how, how to present this to you, and it's such an amazing story. Is Ruth not an amazing chapter? Is this not an amazing woman? So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the highlights, so to speak, and we're going to look at this a little bit more clearly, verse by verse. And the first thing we're going to see uh, is that God gives those who uh, honor him. He gives us a name, and an identity. Let's look again at Ruth 2, starting in verse 1. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. It begins by saying that, introducing us for the first time in, since chapter 1, verse 5, the first time there's a male to enter the scene in the story of Ruth. And it's this Boaz, his, his, his name Boaz means strength is in him. And Boaz is the absolute opposite of Ruth. Boaz, he's a man of wealth. Boaz, he's a man of honor. Boaz, he's a man of position. Boaz, at the city gate, very, very respected. 
Boaz, what it's telling you is this, is Boaz, this is a man of valor. This is a man of honor. This is a man soaked in God's grace and love. And we will, we will see that for sure on our own. But it also says this, it's again, it's the opposite of Ruth, but the writer wonderfully says he's a relative of Elimelech. And if you've been around this Ruth series, you've heard me say that Elimelech, uh, what this means is that God is my king. And amazingly, the whole book of Ruth is not going to let us forget that God is our king. And Elimelech, this name is going to continue to appear, and it's really going to be the, the theme of the book. It's, I can't wait to the ending. But anyway, it's really the theme of the Bible. It really should be the theme of your life and my life. That God wants to be our king. So right on verse 1, you get this introduction to Boaz. You get this introduction. You also get this reminder. And you see this stark contrast, this amazing contrast between a poor, broken, widow, Moabite, and a rich, honorable man named Boaz. Verse 2. It says, one day Ruth, uh, the Moabite, said to Naomi, hey, let, let me go out of uh, the harvest, uh, got out into the uh, harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is a kind enough to let me do it. The interesting thing about this is, why is Ruth asking Naomi to do this? Why, well, why isn't Naomi going as well? And you would think that Naomi, not being a foreigner, you think that Naomi, being in her town, she should be the initiator here. And again, there's a little bit of reading through the lines here. There's a little bit more that we, we don't know for sure. But I believe Naomi's too depressed to get out of bed. Remember what just happened. She said, stop calling me Naomi. That's not my name. That means pleasant. I'm bitter. Have you been there in life? Have you been there? You've been so depressed that you just could hardly move? But Ruth, somehow by God's grace, muscles enough action and faith to, to go and, and look for food. And listen, when she's going to look for food, Naomi's cupboards may have been barren and Naomi's stomach may have been empty, but she was too depressed to go. But Ruth amazingly is going to go and not just go for Ruth. And Ruth doesn't act for Ruth. Ruth always acts selflessly. She's going for Naomi. She's going to go and she's going to go uh, bring some food home for her mother. When it says this, she's going to go look in the harvest and in, in the fields uh, and she's going to look to the corners where they leave for the poor women, the widow women. And here's what it's really saying. It's very interesting. She's going to go collect aluminum cans. She's going to go collect the leftovers. She's going to hopefully get enough aluminum cans called harvesting grain to scrape up a lunch for her mom her mother-in-law, and for herself. And then three, oh man, verse three is amazing. It says, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, and, and as it happened, she found herself working in Boaz's field. And, and I'm telling you, this is so tongue-in-cheek. You almost see the tongue come out of the cheek because this, this phrase, as it happens, it really, it really means this in the, in the Hebrew. As luck would have it, as luck would have it, I mean, this, this woman, she's dangerous going out there. I mean, but as luck would have it, it's providence. It's like rolling the dice. She happens to come across Boaz. She happens to go in his field. And if you were here last week, you knew that, that God's word teaches us that there's nothing outside of God's control. There's nothing that God is not orchestrating. Nothing. Even Naomi, who had good theology, not great theology, would look at the junk in her life, look at the brokenness in her life, and she would come and she'd put it right at God's feet. 
and said, you have caused this. And now the writer, in great irony, and great humor, is saying, oh, by the way, she kind of just luckily, knock on wood, found that right field. Don't ever knock on wood. Don't ever think it's about luck or chance. Don't ever do that to God. Our God is in control of everything. Do you, do you think that God's going to leave Naomi wandering through the fields to chance uh, or, or Ruth? Do you think God's going to let Ruth just go and find whatever? Are you kidding me? I mean, this story is going to solve the mystery of the Bible. This, this story, Jesus is coming through her blood. <laughs> no chance. I don't know what feels like chance in your life, and I don't know what feels you felt like you've been just wandering in, but I gotta tell you the truth that God's hand is over you. And God leads and directs us, and as luck will have it. And, and again, I love verse three because it says, again, uh, by the way, a, re- a relative of Elimelech, uh, God is our king, will not die. You know, God is our king is a theme that God is not gonna let go. And, oh, BT dubs, by the way, it's barley harvest. And by the way, I brought you back just in time for something called harvest. I mean, see God's hand in this. See God's goodness in this. See God's blessing in this. Verse 4, we see God miraculously, well, not miraculously, sovereignly, in his hand of providence, brings Boaz from Bethlehem down to the fields. Those of us who had a privilege of going there, you know, from the city hub down to those shepherd fields, that, that that, that famous place that... Angels came and announced Jesus' birth and Boaz shows up just about the time Ruth is there and says, whoa, whew. In Hebrew, whew. Look at her. But what do you know about Boaz? What's the first thing out of this godly man's mouth? What's the first thing we know? May the Lord bless you. He's not talking to his partners. He's talking to his workers. He wants them to know, and listen, the the author wants us to know, these are God's fields, because this is a godly man. And in God's fields, a godly man says he he, he projects blessing on his people. And what do they say? They say right back to him, and may God bless you. In verse 5, he asks the question, the Boaz asks his foreman, who is this young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And really, where we need to focus is on the second part of that, is who does she belong to? I told you that I'll be preaching through this series in the New Living Translation. It's a great way to tell the story. But verse 5 is not really the Hebrew that we need to hear. The Hebrew that we need to hear is not who, what is her name. The Hebrew that we need to hear, what we really see in this is this. Boaz says, whose is she? Whose is she? Her identification is going to be linked. Listen, her identification is going to be linked to the one that she belongs to. That will identify her. To who does she belong? Hmm. Verse 6 and 7, the foreman says this about her. Oh, let me tell you who that is. Her circumstances define her. Her circumstances define her. I won't even give her a name. I won't mention her name in verses 6 and 7. Her name's not there. Her circumstances, well, that's... That's Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law. That, that's, that's that widow girl. That's that barren one. That's, that's her circumstances. I'll, I'll let her circumstances define her. Interesting, it says, no name given, but it says she's young. Oh, there's, there's, there's richness there. She's young. You know what that word means? She's marryable. Ho, ho. Hey, Boaz. Boaz, marryable. Interesting. 
Interesting, she's all he's described is circumstances. She's marryable, but Moabite, widow, barren, but industrious and hardworking. Man, she's been here all day and she hardly takes a break. This woman's industrious. This woman's hardworking. This woman trusts in the sovereignty of God and yet gets up and goes. Think about that. This woman trusts in the sovereignty of God and yet gets up and goes. Hmm. And then we have Boaz speaking to her for the first time in verses 8 and 9. Boaz went over to her and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay here. Oh my goodness, you have a Moabite widow. You have one who, who's a foreigner. And you have a man of wealth, a man of honor. You have this guy come, and what is he going to say to her? What's he going to call her? He's not going to call her a Moabite skank. I can't help it. I can't get rid of that term, okay? I mean, he's not going to do it. He's, he, he's, something has happened that, that there's a connection now with the one who's complete opposite of him. Daughter, daughter. Daughter, daughter, stay right here. Stay. You know what that would have done to her? You know, you know what that would have washed her with? Are you kidding me? To be, given a, to be given a title that tender, to not be defined by her circumstances, to not be told again of all that she is by a title, daughter, stay right here. You belong. You work here. You rest here. Verse 10, Ruth is T-bowing. Ruth in verse 10, I mean, she, she, her posture, she bows and she can, T-bow's Ruthing maybe. That's what we're probably seeing. We see the, the posture of gratefulness. You're showing kindness to a foreigner. But, you know, it's her confession of faith that she's no longer foreigner. She's family because she's taking refuge. God honors those who honor him. In verses 11 and 12, he heard about Ruth's reputation. He says, you know, yes, I know that you're a foreigner, Boaz says, but I know also that everything about you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you've left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. And then he says this amazing blessing about her confession of faith. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He heard about Ruth's reputation. Everyone was talking about it. And it was not that she's a skank from Skankville. It was that she's a daughter of Yahweh. She's an Abraham-type figure who left everything to take refuge under the wings of God of Israel. We see that God gives us a name and identity to those who honor him. Whose is she? Listen, until you know whose you are, it doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whose are you? Are you God's? Are you Yahweh's? Are you His? Is that your identity? Listen, there's one of three things for all of us about our names. There's one of three things. We will let, here's number one, we will let our circumstances and our worlds define us and tell us who we are. We will let the world outside, our circumstances, their conditions, all of those things tell us who we are. And for Ruth, it could have been things like barren, widow, Moabite. 
And for Naomi, it got to the point where good theology and not great, she almost lost it. It defined her. She said, don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. I'm letting my circumstances define me. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Many of us have been told this. Many of us have been told this by very noble parents. You got to earn a name for yourself. You got to go earn a name for yourself. Or you got to live up to the name you've been given. But go earn a name for yourself. Listen, those who let the world and their circumstances name you will be bitter. Those of you and me who are trying to live and earn a name, listen, will be selfish. We'll be selfish. It'll be about us. I mean, I'll I'll be using you. You'll be using me because I'm trying to earn a name for myself. But but there's there's God's grace that come to the roots of the world who, who say, I'm not letting my circumstances define me and I'm not out here earning a name. I've been given a name, Hephzibah. I've been given a name. I am Yahweh's child. I'm God's child and I am free. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good? Are you free? How is it with you? Are you letting God name you? Are you letting God identify you? Are you letting your circumstances, are you trying to earn something on your own? What an amazing God. God certainly uh, honors those who honor him with a name and identity, but there's more. God honors those who honor him by leading them into the fields of his blessing. Verse 13, Ruth is going to say, hey, I don't know, get this, but may I continue to please you, my, my, my good Boaz? And there's, there's wonderful dripping foreshadowing here. She's going to be his wife. She's going to bear his child. May I continue? And then in verse 14, there's this romantic lunch. There's this feast of a lunch in the middle of a work day. He's like, come on over here. I want you to eat with us, family. I want you to dip your bread in sour wine. Doesn't that sound good? And I want you to, I want, listen, I want you to have not just the grain. I want you to have the roasted grain. I want you to have that, my mama's recipe. I want, I want you to have the best stuff. And don't eat the stuff you just got. That's not ready. Let, let, let me give you the really good stuff. And let me just love on you because of Yahweh. And let me just try to honor you in my, my great God's name that you've taken refuge. And then let me, let me give you lunch that's just overflowing. Drink, my daughter. Relax, my daughter. Eat, my daughter. Eat. Eat the grain. Eat the best stuff. Take some home. Take a doggy bag. Take a doggy bag with you. Bring it to your mother-in-law. She'll be thrilled. God honors those that leads us to the fields of his blessing. But there's more. In verses 15 and 16, he says, listen, I'm going to do more for you. I, I want to give you a key to the executive washroom. I, I don't want you, Ruth. Ruth, I, people might be calling you names here, and I told them, stop it. There's no, there's no skank-filled name around here ever from these guys, okay? And they might be calling you name. They might be saying, you should go. You're a foreigner. You, you go to the corners. You, you go to the leftovers. You go collect aluminum cans. Not you, Ruth. You're, you're my daughter. Not you, Ruth. You, you've taken your refuge under God's wing. Not you, Ruth. You work right with my women. You work right with my workers. You know what he tells his workers? Pull some stuff out for her. Kick some sheaves her way. Make it easy for her. I mean, this is a God who loves over and over and over and abundantly and just fills her cup. It's amazing. It's amazing, Ruth. Uh, you got a key to the executive washroom. In verses 17 and 18, you got a harvest with a cherry on top. It says that she's, she can hardly carry home to her mother-in-law the stuff. And, and again, again, I, I don't know how much it is. I got to study it. And it says she came home with a bucket full. Okay, great. What's that? It's like two weeks of wages. I mean, she, she comes home with, she comes home with 
not what aluminum cans can give her. I mean, she, she comes home and cupboards are being filled. You know, refrigerators are being filled and stomachs are being... And she comes home with a doggy bag and she says, Naomi, come down and sit, sit down. You got to taste this roasted grain. Stuff. This is great. We don't have any of this stuff in Moab. Man, does God lead those who love him into the fields of his blessing. In verse 19, we see the sun shining in Naomi's heart. And, he, and she asks, where did you gather this grain today? She asks, where did you work? And then she starts to break into a country song. And if you love country music, pray for your soul. She says, may the Lord bless the one who helped you. May God bless the broken road that led us right to this man named Boaz. Because he helped you. No. He helped me. See, God leads us into the fields of his blessing. Somehow Naomi's bitterness kept her out of, from working and kept her in bed. But Ruth, and his luck would have it. His luck would have it. Look at the blessing. Are you kidding me? I had a friend of mine tell me this week. I had a friend of mine look me in the eye and say that I don't trust God. I had a friend of mine look me in the eye and say, I don't trust God and I don't trust God's provision. Oh, she, she said it in love and she's kind of a counselor to Katie and me. And, and she didn't say it this way, but she's kind of said it in these many words. She said, Jeff, you, you're a person that continually leaves Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab to look for God's blessing. <laughs> Jeff, you're a schemer. You're a schemer and you, you, all, you always think that you can figure it out. You always think you can do it on your own. And Jeff, you just have this propensity to leave the bread of life, Jesus, to go somewhere else saying, God, fill me. That was a great lunch. She was right. Oh, I said humbling to say, God, I, oh, I just have this propensity to glean in the wrong fields. What about you? What fields are you gleaning in? What fields are you looking for God's blessing? Are you going to Moab? I have the usual suspects. When I'm in need, I tell you, life has never been more expensive for me. When there's needs, you know, I got the credit cards and I, I, I try to get the credit lines and, and I got the usual suspects I try to turn to. And, and for some of you, it might be some of those things. And some of the usual suspects that we go to, might, it might be alcohol or it might be porn or it might be gambling. But, 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 but what, what, where do you go? Where, where do you go looking for God's blessing? What, what fields are you looking in for God's blessing? Are you like me? I mean, do you go to Moab? <laughs> Naomi knew it. I mean, Naomi, Naomi knew what it was like to go to Moab to look for God's blessing. She knew what it was like to leave home, the house of bread, and to come back completely broken, completely empty, completely barren. But her brokenness leads her to God, back to God's healing. It's the next point. God honors those who honor him by healing our brokenness. Verse 20, 
we got to look at verse 20. May the Lord bless him, uh, Naomi says, tells her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to our dead husband. And, and the NLT here doesn't do a great job with who, who the he is. And the commentators are trying to wrestle with, who's he? I mean, who's showing this hesed, this, this loving kindness without an ex, uh, uh, exit strategy? Who is showing this loving kindness? And here's what's happening. I'm telling you, it's so beautiful. Naomi's heart is absolutely breaking under God's love. God is bringing her healing. She's seeing God's blessing. She's tasting it. She has the, the roasted grain. Her stomach is full. And she's reminded of this. God's love is not failing. God hasn't left the building. God, God's not done with me. God's love is faithful. It's he. He's the one whose loving kindness is not failing. And then she says something that just kind of really, really seems stupid. I mean, it seems, it really is like, this is not a Mensa candidate, the next, can, the next statement she says. You ready for this? Uh, hey, Ruth, you need to stay in Boaz's fields. Oh, really? You think so? I just came home with two weeks worth of barley. I just came home with lunch. He is one of our kinsmen's redeemers. You think it's a good idea for me to stay here? Can you hear her confession of faith? Can you hear her repentance can you hear her say, I, I, I've done it. I've left. I left Bethlehem to go to Moab. And all I got was a broken heart. Stay there. God is there. Don't you leave. You stay right there. A Redeemer is coming. Our God is good to us. In verse 21, a temporary job turns into a permanent job. And God clearly shows us his blessing. Lastly, not only does God bring healing to our brokenness, he brings healing to our brokenness through community, by the way. I got a text from a woman in our church who uh, went through some difficult surgery this week. She went through some cancer surgery and the, the, the pathology report wasn't what she wanted to hear. And, and she sent me this text, dear sweet pastor, and that was enough, by the way. I could have just stayed right there for a while. Dear P sweet pastor, do you know that broken people help broken people? And I was just like, yes, Lord. You're just breaking me and you're just reminding me. I mean, if there was ever a picture of broken people helping broken people, it was this last couple of days with the men in this church and Nate Larkin. I mean, Nate Larkin was an ordained pastor. He was trained at Princeton Theological Seminary. And this guy got so deep into porn. I mean, his whole life, I mean, he spent $300,000 on, on prostitutes in Moab and, 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 and pornography in Moab. And his, his life was in shambles. And he, he, he was giving everything away. And God rescued him. And I mean, did God rescue him? And he stood here before us. And I, broken people help broken people heal. You know that's a church, right? You know it's what God's calling us to. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of where you are right now, for the love of God to wash over you in such an amazing way that, that his love defines you, not your circumstances. And his love provides you for you. And, and, and now he wants to use you to be a Boaz in someone's life. He wants, to, he wants to use you to be a Ruth and to love one another and bring healing to one another.
God honors those who honor him with more than blessings that we could ask or imagine. Verse 23 is a closing verse, and it's almost comical, laugh out loud. So Ruth worked alongside the woman in the Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. He's doing so much. And then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in the early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. Did you see it? How does it end? And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. It's like, it's like that 40-year-old kid that's living at home. So you're still living with your parents, are you? Huh? So what are you up to? I'm living at home. Yeah, living at home. Mother-in-law. It's just, it's just God saying, listen, there's so much more. There's so much more to come, Ruth. There's so much more. His story's not finished yet. Some of you may feel right now you're living with your mother-in-law. And some of you may feel like your circumstances are just overwhelming you. And listen, God is so good. She was still a Moabite. And she was still at this point barren. And she at this point was still a widow. And she at this point was still living at home. But God had more. God had more for her. And God has more for you. You know we're not home yet, right? And you know that the story's not finished yet. And you know that God's blessings are still going to pour upon us. Win or lose, God honors those who honor him. Tebow said after last week's loss where absolutely he was destroyed by Tom Brady and the Patriots. Tebow said this. Even though you can be dejected, you can still feel hurt, you can be disappointed, but you can still honor the Lord with how you handle things. And that was a stupid football game. At this point in the story, Ruth can say, I'm still so undone. Still a widow. But God is honoring me, and I want to honor him. I want you to know I'm really going to try. God has me in a meat grinder saying, are you going to honor me, Jeff? He's teaching me things, and he's showing me things, and people are talking in my life, and I'm like, oh, I'm so off balance right now. But I want to fall. I want to try, and if I fall, I want to fall into his arms of grace and hear him tell me how much he loves me and try to get up and do it again. Because you want to know what, Orangewood? You want to know about our God? You want to know about our God? He loves us without an exit strategy. He loves us, and he's not going to stop loving us. And it causes me to say, I want to live and honor you. Because I know he honors those who honor him. Let us pray. Father, what an amazing story. God, I pray that your spirit would come to Orangewood in such new and fresh ways. That God, you'd convict all of us Moabite travelers of our sinfulness and futility. That God, you would convict all of us earning a name for themselves, folks, of the futility of our efforts. God, I pray that you would come with such power and your love that never fails and just remind us. And God, may we just look to your fields for your blessings and your face and may it be enough. God, would you cause this pastor to stop going to Moab? 
God, would you cause this church to honor you even when we still live with our mother-in-law. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.